Hey, Bon Vivants, you're about to listen to episode 59, but before we do that, Brad and I just want to say thanks. We hit a milestone recently. Brad, you want to tell them about it? We hit 10,000 downloads That's right. from all of our Bon Vivants, and we are humbled, and we thank you so much for listening. It's kind of a great threshold to hit, and so thank you guys very much, all you Bon Vivants out there who listen to the show and have listened. And we also want to thank our sponsors, Matt Green at Barvino in downtown Jefferson City and uh, the Missouri River Regional Library. Remember, you can get all sorts of stuff from your library, uh, music, video, books. It's not just a a building full of uh, dusty old books anymore. So thank you, Missouri River Regional Library, for being a sponsor of the program. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the episode. So, hey, Keith. Cheers. So you let bold red wine most of the time With notes of fig and raisin You like a cold brew and pitching horseshoes As the sun is fading you like football games and dishing out nicknames The Godfathers 1 and 2 But not so fast, we got them podcast We like that too 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 Hey, Bon Vivants, welcome back to the We Like That Too podcast. Once again, after a long absence, it seems like. They call that a hiatus. A hiatus. Yes. We hiated. Uh, <laughs> so we're down here in the uh, Bon Vivant International Media Center and uh, glad to be back. Yes, down we here. are. I think we need to tell our Bon Vivants we've had sort of an explosion with uh, the podcast, and we got to thank all of you. Yes. I, I guess, you know, you old hippies out there still love Brewer and Shipley because, yep. man, the interview we did with Tom Shipley has gone wacko. Yeah, the one toke over the line story. I think it's the fact that we use the word toke I think in the, all of our promotions, I and there's the a lot of... <laughs> I think the whole toke thing is yeah. what is what maybe happened. I'm just going to anyway. insert the word toke in all of our promotions now. We're going to go with that. So. But anyway, that was fun. We went. Uh, we were on the road, went down to Tom's house, yeah. and if you all haven't listened to this one, it's a great it's, episode. It's a great episode, great and interview. we got another good one coming up today. Yeah, we do, and we I'm are really very excited. grateful for this guy. He's remote. He's in uh, on the phone. Um, let me introduce our guest today. It is Clint Ashlock, and Clint is the artistic director of the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra. And I want to get into that a little bit. You know, I've heard of jazz bands and jazz groups, but not sure I've ever heard of a jazz orchestra, and we'll let him talk about that. Clint, welcome to the program. It is good to be on the program. It's nice to share some time with y'all. So you're in Kansas City, and uh, you're from Kansas City area. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Kansas City and, and that type of thing. Well, um, yeah, I, I obviously enjoyed it enough to never leave. Um, <laughs> I, I grew up on the Kansas side and, um, you know, did the whole high school thing, and um, I, I'm a graduate of Shawnee Mission North, um, class of 1998, and I went out to college in western Kansas at a place that most people have stopped to use the restroom or fill up with gas, uh, Hayes, Kansas. I went out there to play golf and ended up uh, 
picking music instead of golf. And um, I think it worked out uh, better for my life uh, in every way except probably financially. Oh, there's a lot well, of I don't know. There's, there's a, a lot, lot of poor broke, golfers. There's out a lot there. of broke golfers out there, <laughs> Clint. <laughs> <laughs> well, anymore, only if they're uh, betting against me. Uh, or wait, no, reverse that. Um, anyway, and then I, I came back um, here to, to go to UMKC to study with the great Bobby Watson, yeah. uh, who ran the jazz program uh, at UMKC for about 20 years and really revitalized uh, that component of the Kansas City jazz scene and um, just am lucky enough to have been able to study with him and, and befriend him and he's a mentor and, and all of that and uh, it just didn't seem like uh, I needed to go anywhere and so over the last 20 years I oh, that's weird to say but over the last 20 years of my life um, I've just been working at being the best contributor to the jazz scene uh, here in Kansas City that I can and and that, luckily enough, turned into a, a career with the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra for the right. last ten years. Well, according to, according to your bio, you picked up the horn in '98, and uh, evidently it was a gentleman by the name of Brad Dawson that sort of took you under his wing. And we interview a lot of musicians, and you know, we always like to ask the question: you know, did you think that you would have a better chance with the girls with a trumpet? Or, or 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 with with the guitar, we had we had one of our one of our buddies started with a French horn, and he figured out real quick that that was not the coolest instrument that he you know that, that he could ever pick up. Yeah, well, actually, I started in fifth grade with all the other kids, so that would have been in like nineteen I don't know ninety or so. Um, but I didn't really take it seriously until probably my senior year of high school. And so I met Brad. He was my trumpet instructor uh, out of Fort Hayes, and he is just about to retire out there. Great guy. But as far as my social and romantic proclivities, uh, <laughs> I suppose I didn't really give it any thought. I was never interested in the guitar, so it didn't even cross my mind and, until right now. So I guess I didn't with a bit of an existential crisis. It's never uh, too late. I, never too late, man. I, I didn't mean, I I didn't mean to drum up anything. That, yeah. Oh, go ahead. So I, 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 I didn't mean to undo any any therapy or anything that you've been doing. So, so are you? No, li- no, are you- I'm, I'm looking at an acoustic guitar across the room, and now I'm thinking, well, maybe I better just pick that up instead. So are you living on the Missouri side now? Or are you still living in Kansas? No, I live uh, I live out in Lenexa, uh, okay. where my daughters um, are going to school, and yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm on the Kansas side, but okay. you know, as is per usual, except for one awesome club that we had uh, run by two really great people. Most jazz music in Kansas City is on the Missouri side, and well, I'm sure your listening audience knows that there are the Kansas and Missouri side of Kansas City. Yes, um, yeah, we've heard but, that. Uh, yeah, that's, it's yeah that's not a big. Uh, that's not a big secret. It's, it is to the national media. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, they, yeah. The Super Bowl and the World Series, they sure spend a lot of time talking about that. But yeah. I guess that's for the best. So. Well, yeah, my my right. daughter is a graduate of the UMKC Conservatory. She is a music education major, and she teaches elementary over at Mize Elementary across the uh, across the line over there. So real, real proud of her. Well, thank her for her service. I, I, will, I will do that. All right, before we go any further i've got to get uh, my duty is to keep us on track and the format of the program and the format starts with one bottle so you know you can't drink throughout the entire program if you don't start early 
So we're going to talk about wine. And we were, I was very pleased when, when I uh, proposed, you know, exploring a bottle that you do enjoy wine and, and drink wine. So you're going to have a different bottle than we are, but that's okay. They're both Pinot Noir, so we're going to talk about a couple of varieties of Pinot Noir. Brad, why don't we go first? Since you've already poured a lovely glass here, well, I have, and I've I've even uh, I've even taken a, a first sample. My wife and I went out to the Willamette Valley, and if you haven't done that, uh, wow. you might you might put that on your bucket list. You know, literally in a radius of about ten miles, go to some of the absolute best wineries for Pinot in in the world, and one of them is Sokol Blosser. Uh, it was okay. two, two kids in stand at Stanford. Uh, Susan Sokol and Bill Blosser uh, decided that after they graduated, why don't we just grow grapes and start a vineyard? Which kind of happened back in the early seventies. It, it wasn't you weren't uh, buying land at the prices that are even close to what they are now. And they started the Sokol Blosser Vineyard, and they they started with Pinot like they did in Oregon and. Uh, it just grew and grew and grew, and I can tell you that the quality that they produce at Soka Blosser is really phenomenal. I mean, they've got several different lines that uh, I've I've tried, and it's a beautiful vineyard. Oh, their tasting room is uh, is very very pretty and very organic, very into doing it the right way environmentally. Yeah. Yeah. But here, here's the the bottle that we have today is a 2018. It is their Redland Cuvée, and it's one of their estate Pinot Noirs. So the interesting thing about this is they decided that they were having a big they were having a big anniversary. I think it was their 50th anniversary. So they decided they would sell their bottles at the same price that they did back in 1978 or whatever it was. Oh boy, it was seven. Well, <laughs> Clan, it was seven dollars. I think seven bucks a bottle. Oh my god! So I bought the whole case for less than a hundred dollars, and I was like, "You're never going to get nope. that from Sokol Blossom." Not so, this one. So I thought to myself, "I thought, man, let me tell you, if I don't get on this early, so I called real early." And sure enough, they put a, a note up on Facebook about eleven o'clock. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We we are out. Uh, we are out of our uh, Redland Cuvee. But so, it's, what so do you think about? First of all, the nose is outstanding. It's got an old world nose. It's a little bit musty, a little pretty earthy. Well, it's an eighteen, so um, it's been in there a little yeah, while. Yeah, but you know, it's um, for a new world wine. It's I think it's got a really old world nose on it, uh, which I like. That's up my alley. And I thought when you first poured it, I thought it looked pretty deep. But when I get it in the light, it's it's very Pinot Noir-ish in, it its, is. in its color. It's uh, a little bit of transparency around the edges. I love the taste. How much does this bottle retail for now? This is probably a $35, yeah, okay. $30 That's what I would bottle. Guess, yeah. and, they, and they have others that go up. I mean, sure. Soka Blosser pops out 95 to 100 point wines on a pretty regular basis. Brad is a big Pinot Noir lover. I, I like it too, but... He always calls it the O positive of uh, of wine of wine because it goes with so it pairs with so many different things and it's it's so friendly to food and and things like that. I think this wine would pair with almost anything. I do too. It's light enough in body that it could it would not overpower poultry or fish, fish or, mm-hmm. but it also has enough depth on the tongue and finish that you could put it with a red meat. 
Um, and so and we just poured it, and since we since it's been sitting here, it's just gotten better yeah. and better and better. I I think it's great. I feel like that's one of the things with Pinot that makes it sometimes kind of difficult, sort of hit and miss with them sometimes. Because it seems like sometimes it's hard to like if you get a couple bottles in a row that don't have that are a little overly subtle. I suppose I don't know. I, I, I guess I get disinterested, but then other times oh, that's exactly what I like about it. I know exactly and, what you're saying, and, and in fact, I often say I like Pinot Noirs that don't taste like Pinot Noirs. I like them a little more bold, a little more body and depth. And um, yeah, if you get a couple of really thin ones, yeah, eh, I'm I don't not, like. I'm not interested. Uh, in. I don't like wimpy Pinot Noirs. <laughs> and you know, for the most part, when you go up to the Willamette, they're not that way. You know, Lang is another one that I absolutely uh-huh. love, and it's it will hold up with steak. There's no question about that. So, what have you got in your glass? Yeah, so, what are there? you drinking? Well, first of all, I've never had a Sokol Glosser, and I'm excited to check it out. And especially, I really like those pinots that are a little older because I feel like when they when they're a little older, you get a more of a kind of a an earthier kind of funkier deal on them. You know, like yeah. more mushroomy or more. I, I really like that because I, I think it's interesting, and so I enjoy it with like some cheese. Um, especially something funkier. Yeah, We've got a yeah. great, uh, Green Dirt Farms does a lot of really nice goat cheeses up here around Kansas City. And, um, I've definitely enjoyed that part of it. I, this is a, uh, six degrees sellers 2020. So it's a little younger and, and I believe six degrees is, uh, toward the coastal side of Napa, yeah. which, you know, like the growing, I mean, that's great. Like that cooler environment, I, I think, is supposed to be really great for Pinot Noir. And I kind of feel that with this, it's pretty dairy forward to me. Um, I've never had this before, so I've never had anything to eat. I'm just drinking wine at one thirty in the afternoon uh, with you, so we'll see how it goes. But I could see it up to like maybe a fatty or salmon or, or something, but but maybe not with a lamb or, or something a little more gamey. Um, I believe this is aged in oak barrels, and so I'm getting some of that spice. Mm-hmm. Like I'm getting some. It says pepper, hints of pepper. I'm getting like a little bit of clove right. um, in this, which is kind of cool. But you know, I, my palate is not like perfect or anything. Well, you're a good. Descri- uh, you're a good. Yeah, you're describing it very nicely. Yeah. Um, what's the price point, if you don't mind sharing that, just so our bon vivants out there can, if they're going to look for it? Well, this was, I think, uh, fifteen bucks. Oh wow, <laughs> so that's a great value. It was. Which to me is kind of a red flag with Pinots. Like, I, if I'm spending, you know, under $20 on a, wine, a red wine, I would probably avoid a Pinot. But my wine guy was like, hey, you should try this out. I think you would like it. And you I got, like it okay. You got to trust. My favorite. Yeah, you got to trust those again. guys sometimes. You know, I, they, I think most wine guys are value guys, and that's what I am. And so they like to find those hidden treasures that don't cost an arm and leg, but still are really a good. A good taste in the glass. Well, the coolest advice I ever heard, with my dad's really good friends with uh, this guy, Jimmy Francais, who's a sommelier, and uh, he owns uh, this restaurant called JJ's in Kansas City. And um, just a really well-known wine guy. He does the saber thing, you know, like oh, all that yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody asked him, like, they need to get a really nice, expensive bottle of wine. What's the best expensive bottle of wine? And he's like, look, man, like, 
the best wine is the one that you like to drink. Exactly. <laughs> you know? That's that's kind of what exactly. Keith, that's kind of what Keith and I. That's our mantra. Ours is like you know what if you if you like a Moscato, you know that's fine, but. You know, try a bunch of them. There's bunches of them out there. You like Pinots? Try all of them. Take the journey. You know, go yeah. out there and and because right now I, I think we're in the golden age of wine. You, we've oh, got no doubt about we've it. We've got so many different choices and good ones and 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 not so good ones. But I mean, you know, you'll have to ascertain that for yourself too. I yeah. mean, it's yeah. your it's your palate. You like what you like. You know, yeah. we don't yeah. we don't shame anybody for, for music. You should all like jazz. Wow, well, what, a what a great transition. <laughs> what a great, you're a professional. Because I'll, I'll tell you what, first of all, I do want to go over some of the history and you're, you're obviously immersed in that. Um, let's talk about jazz music, uh, you know, the big umbrella. I, for our bon vivants out there, the history of, of jazz in, cause we're in Jefferson City, but we're in the middle of Missouri. Right. We have St. Louis on one side, which has an interesting jazz history. Yes. You have Kansas City on the other side that has a very interesting jazz history. Yes. A rich heritage. Clint, tell us a little bit about the, the evolution of Kansas City jazz, because it, it is somewhat unique, sort of like Kansas City barbecue. Well, you know, it's, I'm, I'm going to ask you to go back even before that. I do want to hear about Kansas City jazz, but talk to the Bon Vivants a little bit about jazz, as I understand it, is the only truly unique American music form. You know, a short synopsis of how that developed and what the roots were and how we got to where we are and what led to Kansas City jazz. That is a uh, that is a tall task. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> well, that's, I know. Three, that's three or four hours right yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm gonna need some more wine. Um, <laughs> I, I would before I get into that, which I'm very happy to do. I would like to just make a quick mention of Jefferson City as being uh, the boyhood home of one of the great trumpet players in the world today, who came through Kansas City at UMKC and lived here for a while, and now lives in Paris. Uh, Herman Mahari. Herman Mahari. Herman went to school with my daughters. Unbelievable trumpet player. Even as a as a young man, he was way um, ahead of the curve. Just unbelievable. And a beautiful guy and somebody oh, yeah. who I have shared some food and drink and music with. And I'm always excited to just be his friend. And uh, Yes, great guy. Yeah, so, so you have a little jazz history, uh, current jazz history from Jeff City. So I, I think the, the best place to kind of you know, surround is the, the turn of the century going into the 20th century um, in New Orleans, which was a melting pot of, of culture, right? right. Um, where you have all sorts of things, kind of you know, the confluence of a lot of things, including the, the popular music of the time, but also uh, different styles of, of playing. And then you also had culturally, you know, this kind of combination of the, the Caribbean and um, black Americans and, and then like European sort of classical influences and all of that was sort of converging in New Orleans around the, the start of the 20th century. So um, jazz music was sort of the product of three sort of different things. You've got like the brass bands that were and still are um, a big part of, of New Orleans musical culture. So like marching bands, funeral bands, parades, right, right. all of that. Um, so that instrumentation was really popular. Plus in the greater United States, 
brass bands, that was just a popular medium of music. Think of John Philip Sousa, and, sure. and, and then there's a European brass band tradition. So that was very prevalent in New Orleans. Um, ragtime was huge. That was the syncopated piano music. You know, Scott Joplin, The Entertainer, Maple Leaf Rag, stuff like that. Out of, that out of Sedalia, Missouri. Sedalia, Missouri, that's right. That's right, and, another one. Um, and so the syncopation and the rhythmic style of that, what was new and it was cutting edge and a little like the more conservative, older population didn't quite know what to think about ragtime, but so that was there. <laughs> and then you also had um, great American, black American folk music um, of the blues. Now, there's a lot of folk music that came out of slavery I mean, this would be a whole other podcast that somebody else should speak on besides me, but blues was one of these kinds of music that it was a storytelling music, a, a communicative music, and it, it, a lot of people who were much smarter than me would say that the blues music was kind of like a vaccine for having the feeling of the blues. You know, you give someone a little bit of the smallpox to to prevent the smallpox or whatever, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm also yeah. not an infectious disease specialist. But um, blues, there was, it's a folk music, so it's not, it's not, you know, composed in kind of the European uh, traditional sense of composing, um, but it's an aural music, and there's a lot of room for personal inflection. Actually, I mean, the whole thing was personal inflection through emotion um, and musicality and then improvisation. I'll wrap it up here a little bit on that, but, you know, if you listen to really old blues, like Robert Johnson or somebody, you'll hear a little bit of singing, and then like in between the, the vocal phrases, there'll be like a little bit of guitar or something that kind of answers, and that's that call and response yeah. that comes clear out of the church, you know, from all churches across the world, you know, and other kinds of secular music. And so what happened was, at least the way I look at it, which there are myriad ways of looking at it, but you have this instrumentation of the brass band coupled with this kind of infectious syncopated rhythm of ragtime in, in the direction the popular music was going. And then the musicians, the individuals that would play, they wanted to infuse, you know, the, the, the vocal qualities of the blues with those improvisational bits. So, you know, it might have happened like on a parade where the bass drummer would be playing thump, 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 thump. Well, one day that bass drummer might have just said thump, 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 but thump, thump. And they called that the big four. Yeah. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, two, three, four. And then somebody heard that and they're like, oh, I hear you. And then they played rhythmically a little bit looser. And then eventually that all came together uh, through folks like Buddy Bolden and Freddie Keppard and Bob Johnson and King Oliver, these New Orleans trumpet kings. They started to interpret this kind of confluence of these different styles of music, um, and they would play it for the people. And that kind of freedom of expression is, is how jazz kind of came to be, as far as I can tell. Very cool. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Clint, but it was a it was a passed down music too. They didn't write anything down. You know, one of the great frustrations for great blues people that love the blues is the fact that so much of it wasn't recorded. It's gone. You know, it was kind of uh, we know it was happening, but 
I mean, you know, I think there's what two or three recordings of Robert Johnson out there, and so uh, yeah, like 27 tunes or something. Yeah, yeah. there's not very yeah. there's not very much there. It's it's pretty well documented that a lot of those musicians left New Orleans. They went up to Memphis. They went into St. Louis, and then they ended up in, a lot of them in Chicago. How did Kansas City work work into that? Well, I mean, you're exactly right that, you know, I mean, Chicago and New York came after, you know, the music that came out of New Orleans. And I mean, also, you have to look at this as like, you know, if the music started around 1900, 1910, Louis Armstrong first recorded in 1918. And so by the time we had like that, the recording stuff happening, it had already had 10 or so years of development. And then when you hear Count Basie in Kansas City in like 1935, 30, like that, that area, I mean, that's not a long time uh, to think about like this migration and development happening. It all happened pretty quick. But in Kansas City, Chuck Haddix would be the, the person to really give you the skinny on this, but um, he's a you know great historian and author and runs the Mars Sound Archives at UMKC. You know, Kansas City was, I mean, politically and socially, it was not kind of beholden to a lot of the law that, uh, <laughs> you know, New York or Chicago was. And that was because and, of our good buddy, who further jazz and didn't even know it, was Mr. Pendergast, yeah, yeah. who basically... Right. Didn't care. He kind of played by his own rules. Yeah, yeah. which were well, there, there weren't a lot any. Of money. Well, <laughs> sure. Was, yeah. You know, yeah. You've got all these musicians from that were not born in Kansas City. They came through Kansas City because it was a great stop for musicians, you know, to come through and to play in these different places. I mean, there were over a hundred and some clubs, like a like a two foot radius, you know, in Kansas City. And so you had like Bill Basie came through and he's from Red Bank, New Jersey, and you had all these different people that came through. Jay McShann is from Muskogee, Oklahoma, and so forth. It was so easy. I mean, I say this, I didn't live there then, but uh, I mean, it's seemingly so easy to have a career in Kansas City and an audience because all of these clubs, they didn't really have curfews like you would in New York where you had to shut the lights off at 2 or 3 in the morning. You know, these clubs would be open as long as they could make money off of people. And in every club, it's not like there are a lot of, you know, DJs out there. So every club had a band, but you can only have so many musicians in a town, right? And so if there are 100 clubs with uh, 100 bands, that that was a really like uh, it was just a way for people to to come through and, and to stay and to make some money uh, and have a career as a musician, um, and then that also the, the social habits of Kansas City kind of informed the stylistic changes that Kansas City provided to the history of jazz. You know, you've got New Orleans style, Chicago, like is where kind of New Orleans Dixieland sort of evolved a little bit. New York certainly has its sound, you know, think of early Duke Ellington and, and things like that. But in Kansas City, you know, even though all the musicians could read music and understood all that stuff uh, on the bandstand, if you had an eight-hour gig, you couldn't play 150 arrangements that were two and a half minutes long. So <laughs> they would end up improvising and riffing on the bandstand, just these little nuggets of melody over a standard chord progression, like a 12-measure blues or a, like I Got Rhythm, George Gershwin song or something, or Honeysuckle Rose. And they would riff, and everybody else in the band would kind of riff along, and eventually that would... 
organically turn into um, a team that, that they would play every night. Like one o'clock jump happened that way. Jumping at the Woodside happened that way. And um, moat and swing and all these different things. And then you had great arrangers like Mary Lou Williams and Jesse Davis, and these different people that kind of captured that sound and wrote it down as the big band evolved and started to play more and more, uh, you know, through composed arrangements and charts. But it was that looseness and kind of the regionality of the feel, like Kansas City, Pete Johnson, piano player, Walter David, uh, Page, this bass player, they had a, a, a certain way of playing the music that was a little looser, a little more four on the floor, they call it, you know, doom, 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 that kind of thing. And um, it just evolved into, you know, if you listen to Glenn Miller's In the Mood, I mean, that's more out of Kansas City than it is out of New York or anything. Clint, wasn't there, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't there an established jazz district in Kansas City? 12th that, Street. That had all these, uh, was it 12th and Vine? Mm-hmm. There, that had all these... Um, clubs and stuff and so the musicians knew there were places where they could get work and that that attracted bands and groups and and an artist because they knew there was opportunity there but yeah exactly and, and, uh, and, and sometimes the opportunity they just you know they didn't have the internet or anything but if you if your band ran out of money because the band leader gambled it all away in the basement of a club in Kansas City, then you were kind of stuck in Kansas City. And I believe that's what happened to Basie or somebody. And so then they were like, oh, okay, well, 12th and Vine is happening. And then it wasn't just 12th and Vine, 18th and Vine. It was, it was uh, on into the downtown area, too, um, for sure. But, yeah, 12th and Vine, Vine Street, I mean, that was a mecca. Yeah, uh, yeah, not to be sacrilegious or anything, but, well, but after, but I, but the thing is too, what isn't it true that after you finished with your gig, then you went and and then and then the real and then it really started. You got together with the other musicians and you played all night, sometimes into the into the next day. You well, know, and, well, and then you did it all over again. And I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but a former guest on the show was Artie Lang, uh, Artie Langston. Langston. I'm sorry. I yeah. don't know if you've ever run into Artie or not. Interesting. I'm not, no. Oh man! Yeah, but he, you know, he he came up through the jazz uh, in New he, Orleans. He's played a lot of places, but. They used to say, hey, you know, they'd finish a gig and they'd say, hey, I'll meet you in XYZ City in two days and they'd regroup. Because they didn't, you're right, they didn't have internet, they didn't have cell phones. It was all just like, you know, we're going to set a date and we're all going to meet there. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. But uh, interesting, sure. interesting developments back then, you know, communicating with artists and, and staying in touch. Artie played uh, upright bass, still does. He's, he plays around oh, yeah, here. Yeah, he still plays. And he's played with everybody. But, I mean, he grew up, he basically made his chops in new orleans and the people he's played with down there is just 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 jaw-dropping all right so that's awesome uh, so i i don't want to get too far down the road before we talk about the kansas city jazz orchestra so sure i think everybody you know has some sort of understanding about what jazz music sounds like the types of groups that might play jazz music but like i mentioned earlier i'm not familiar with an orchestra a jazz orchestra <laughs> so explain explain your group a little bit what they're all about what their mission is you know what that looks like sure well so jazz orchestra there there's a lot of you know euphemisms for big band um and jazz orchestra is certainly one of those that um i mean all, all it really is is like it's just usually 15 or more people playing arrangements in a in a, in a 
you know, of jazz music. And I think, you know, that probably came out of Duke Ellington's music. I mean, it was, it's jazz, but it had orchestral qualities. And then I think Stan Kenton, yeah. you know, his Melophonium Orchestra. I mean, yeah. it's just a big band. We don't play orchestral music. We're not out there swinging some Beethoven or Brahms. Sometimes we have, <laughs> but, um, but it's really, it's just another word for another term for a okay. big band. So, okay, we get um, it. Yeah. It was, uh, formed by, uh, Jim Mayer, who's a great saxophonist who came to Kansas City from, uh, Canada, I believe. And then Gene Hall, uh, who was a music lover. He actually led a big band, but he was a business person in Kansas City. And Gene and Jim and Jim's wife, Mary, um, they founded the group. Uh, we're in our 20th season this year, which is super exciting. Wow. Uh, so they, they founded it uh, 20 years ago. And the idea was there's, there's a big band in Columbus, Ohio, uh, called the Columbus Jazz Orchestra that's been around for about 50 years. And it is, you know, a subscription-based big band. You know, they perform a concert schedule like an orchestra or whatever else would. And I think uh, Gene and Jim saw that and saw a model for something that we didn't have in Kansas City. Not that there hasn't been a lot of great big bands in Kansas City, because for sure there are and were. Um, but that was the idea behind it. The, the mission of the group, I think... You know, has always been this idea of celebrating the past, like, of course, looking at all the great music um, that that has come into the big band tradition um, over the years. You know, I mean, we're almost at almost at 100 years of big band music, which is crazy. And uh, yeah. and then embracing the future, like, what is this music going to be? What What is that we can do? And so when I started about 10 years ago, I took a look at that and and have really tried to, you know, keep strong to that mission while, while exploring what exactly it is to be a, a big band that, that is from Kansas City in the 21st century. And how, how do we remain Kansas City and how do we embrace what the regionality of Kansas City music is um, while entertaining folks? And, and a lot of that has been through educational endeavors recently and, and performance and and starting new ensembles and being advocates for this music. So, Very cool. um, yeah, well, we've got a concert series, a uh, subscription series at the Kaufman Center, which is a beautiful performing arts hall in Kansas. Gorgeous facility. I have a question, Clint. What has the Kaufman Center meant to Kansas City? Oh, I mean, so much. It's, it's having been privileged enough to be in a lot of great concert halls around the world. I mean, it is exceptional the conference center is exceptional just like the disney center the sydney opera house or whatever like it is gorgeous venue to hear music but also to perform music just a beautiful addition to our other great halls like the 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 folly theater and you know, the lyric and, and, and different places that now have kind of made their home at the Kaufman Center. And obviously for the Kansas City Symphony, which is, it, that's the main uh, tenant of, of the Kaufman Center. But uh, I feel like it's meant so much. And obviously I'm biased because I'm in the arts. But Well, it, um, is, a, it is a gem wonderful. in the crown of Kansas City. There's no doubt about it. How can Bon Vivants, who might be in and around Kansas City or traveling there to the area, how can they access the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra? KCJO.org. Pretty easy to remember. Yeah, we'll post that on our website and promo stuff too. So, And, and all the social medias, you know, we're on Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, I think we even have a TikTok account, which I don't run. Thank goodness for everyone involved. Um, but, um, 
millennialness is showing uh, for sure on the TikTok scene. But that's okay. We've got a great marketing person. She's got that on lock. And then any of our educational endeavors are almost always open to the public. We play a lot of non-season shows here and there and around in various iterations. We actually started a second ensemble um, that is more embracing that improvisational collective kind of music um, just this last year. And so that's starting up. That's called Rift Generation. And uh, it's a pretty exciting time to be part of the KCJO, that's for sure. Kind of along those lines, where are some of the places that uh, you're coming into town and you say, man, I want, an, I want that wonderful, intimate jazz experience where is it still in kansas city well i mean it's it's in a lot more places than sometimes us kansas cityans uh remember <laughs> top of our heads it, it's we're really fortunate and there's a lot of venues that you can hear great jazz musicians all the time sometimes it can be a little bit more you know at a dinner club or whatever versus like a, a listening room but i mean the first place i would say would be the the blue room um that's at 18th and vine where it like you know, the history kind of happened. And it's part of the American Jazz Museum, um, which is, you know, a very cool thing for us to have here with exhibits and traveling exhibits and different things. But the Blue Room is um, is kind of unique in that it's a club, but it's also kind of funded by the city. And it showcases a lot of the great musicians that we have in Kansas City in a purely like listening environment. Uh, one of my favorite spots is the Majestic Steakhouse on Broadway. Almost nightly, they have some of my favorite musicians that play in a really intimate setting downstairs. Um, these artists, Peter Schlam and Matt Villinger and Roger Wilder, they're playing piano and, and stuff down there, and it's it's just some of the best music in the world. Peter Schlam's a St. Louis guy, Matt Villinger's a St. Louis guy. I think Roger comes from Rochester, but they all live in Kansas City now, and there's some special music that happens down there. There's a spot that is definitely not on a lot of Kansas Cityans' radar even sometimes, uh, the KC Beer Company. I mean, I don't want to mess this up, but I feel like it's almost like a Bavarian-style beer hall, you know? Sure. And it's a great brewery, a lot of great beer. Um, the Dunkel is, like, one of my favorite beers in the world. I, I think on Saturdays or Sundays, I think it's Sundays, they have uh, one of the true master Kansas City musicians um, is a guy that, and you know, variations on the theme, he moved here as well from the Netherlands. I feel like of all the people that play music in Kansas City, Brahm is the most intimately Kansas City. His music is, you know, stride, boogie-ish kind of piano playing, and he's a wizard. Like, he might as well wear a cape. I mean, he's just insane. <laughs> and uh, he's so much fun. He makes sounds and noises, and his music is just the most swinging, infectious, fun stuff ever. And I would say that's a spot people should check out. And then, to wrap it up, like topping the weekend off on a Friday or Saturday night, like say you go out to Lonnie's Reno Club, which is a supper club, and you have a great dinner there and you check out Lonnie McFadden, who's an amazing, historic performer, tap dancer, trumpet player, singer. And then you go to the Blue Room and you check out, you know, whoever's playing there. And then at about 1 a.m., you know, you might grab a taco or something and then head over 
to the Mutual Musicians Foundation at 18th of Highland, which is just a block off from the Blue Room. And that is the longest continuously running jam session in the country, is what they say. And it's about from 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. And it's just a jam <laughs> session. And anybody could show up, and it's ridiculous and awesome. Hey, Clint, does Bobby Watson play any of those uh, any of those gigs now? Is he how how active is is he? Is he around? I think Bobby has always done a really good job of maintaining his kind of international man of mystery musician status. He does show up and he'll play in Kansas City, but it's usually like kind of on the on the down low a little bit. And he'll do like big things, like he'll play you know big concerts with us or with the Symphony, or sometimes you know he'll bring his groups in to play at the Blue Room or something. But he'll pop up here and there. Like you just kind of have to. If he shows up, you got to make sure that you stay for the whole time. Any special events or artists or anything you want to promo that might be coming up that our Bon Vivants up out there who are jazz fans or want to get into it uh, really want to put on their calendar and maybe make a special trip to Kansas City? Well, uh, on the 24th of February, um, that's the KCGO's next concert. So, of course, I'm going to promote that. And that's a really exciting one. They all are. But this one is super exciting because we're using the like the pre-concert time to showcase some great student musicians to celebrate that part of what's happening, the, the future of Kansas City Jazz. You know, these young people that yeah. are dedicating themselves and sound like pros already, you know. Very nice. And that's going to kind of open up the show. And then we've got Casey J.O. playing a set of straight-ahead big band music and featuring our musicians, but also letting some of these great students sit in with us on that. So, you know, they'll they'll be uh, blown away by They probably won't play a lot <laughs> in the section, but uh, I know that's the way I was when I was a kid, and I got a chance to play with folks like this. That is and very cool. The second half of that concert is we're bringing a string orchestra oh, uh, wow. to the stage with our big band. Oh, wow. And that's always very special. So we're going to do some really cool tunes with these two vocalists that I adore, Ebony Fondren, who's like one of the great singers in Kansas City history. She's my age, and she's just killing it. And Lee Langston, who is one of the most versatile vocalists I've ever met, he sang with us last year. Ebony sang with us for, for, for a while now. And... Um, uh, so we're going to showcase them on some tunes like Roberta Flack, you know, stuff like that. So nice. the 24th of February, come on out. Cool. That's Is that a Kaufman? Where's that going to be again? It is. It's going to be a Kaufman. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That sounds, that yes, sounds like does. a great, great night. One of the things, Clint, that really impressed me about you, and it was a quote, that uh, one of the articles that, that I read, and you talked about your students, and you said something to the effect, I'm not – just here to put college jazz arrangements together. I want these kids to know Coltrane and Getz and some of the the great jazz arrangers and and performers. And it sort of struck a a nerve with me because I, I think about New Orleans and it just all came around circle because there are so many people like Trombone Shorty and people down there that are doing so much great stuff in keeping the genre alive. And I, I saw that quote by you and I was like, you know what? This is the kind of person that we want out there in the music education world that are not just teaching, you know, the, the theory of what's going on right now, but they can reach back and say, 
this is where it came from. This is the stuff. You know, this is, you know, as, as Shorty says, this is our New Orleans, and we have to keep our New Orleans. This is our Kansas City. We have to keep our Kansas City. I just yeah. wanted to make that comment, and thank you yeah. for what oh. you're doing for the young people. No doubt, and I want to I want to echo that, too, because you talk about letting these students sit in, and it's going to be a great segue to our three top picks here in a second, but, you know, education, exposure to the arts in all forms, Brad and I are passionate about that. We're both theater people. Uh, we believe that arts education in our schools is vital to keeping those art forms alive and, and vibrant. And so thank you for everything you're doing to not only curate and, and administrate the uh, Kansas City Jazz Orchestra, but promotion, education, and keeping that art form alive. And so our uh, kudos to you, man. Oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you. It's thankfully a very natural uh, thing to, to feel like you want to do for yeah. sure uh, when you're when you're this you know passionate about the music. So. It's not it's not work when you're passionate about it, is it? Nope. You never yeah. work a day yeah. in your life when you love what you're doing. <laughs> it sure is a lot of work. All right. Well, but it's, but it's it's great work and it's feel good work. For sure. It is. It is. Well, Clint, we're going to share all of the website links and stuff on our uh, social media pages. So so we're going to transition now into the third section of the program and that is the three top picks now this one you know we always handcuff ourselves on these things <laughs> yeah, we we have these grandiose ideas and it's like this is impossible and you mentioned that in one of our emails is like how am i going to do this so so here's the three top picks and this one's uh stay with us bon vigance on this one this is a little bit out there so three top picks if you could play any instrument what three bands or groups would you like to sit in with? Three top bands you'd like to sit in with if you could play any instrument. Now, here's what we'll do. I know. Here's what we'll do, Clint. We let the guests go first. We do them one at a time, and we go around the circle, and uh, we cheat. We do honorable mentions, you know, that kind of thing, because we rarely can narrow it to three. But uh, tell us what your number one – it doesn't have to be in order either. Um, Just tell me what your first pick is for – a band you'd love to sit in with if you could play any instrument? I mean, I was kind of hoping I could pick the 1985 Lakers. But, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Too short? Uh, <laughs> That'd be my problem. <laughs> I, I mean, I think my number one pick, just to see what it would be like, would be, would be to play an Ellington's band. And I mean, like, if, yeah. if I could play an instrument, I, one of these days I will learn how to play the trumpet. And that's going to be great. Oh, come on, come please. Come on now. That well, is your instrument. Well, but wouldn't say, that be something to be able to sit in with, like, Artie Shaw or or uh, Benny Goodman or any of those, just just to play oh, just to play one yeah. evening with them? Well, I think, so I would take a little different direction than that, than the one evening thing. I would like to be a member of the Ellington band for, like, a year. Tour with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the thing about Ellington was he restructured, rewrote all of his music, like, based on the personnel in the band. Mm -hmm. Um, Ah. So he got to know you you personally, and and he would write, you know, stuff around your skills and your weaknesses. And I always thought that was amazing. Um, But, I mean... Obviously, I would take the one gig. I would sit in with Ellington on one gig. I just think his music, I would love to have been able to see how he worked with his musicians, like what his leadership style was like, how he talked to everybody on the bus, 
Like, he's just the most fascinating jazz musician I think I've ever read about. I would love to see what Duke Ellington was like. Well, that's like a great coach who knows his players and, and coaches to the strengths of his players, you know? Yeah, that's, that's and I, what, don't, I don't, I think Clint would agree that I don't think all of them did that. <laughs> no. It was my way or the no. highway. Yeah, you know, there's a place, and I don't even think I've told Keith this. There was a place on Sanibel Island down in Florida called Ellington's, and they had, okay. and it was right out of an MGM movie set. Yeah. This place was Art Decoed to the. Ma- I wonder if it's even still there. Yeah. But it was the coolest damn place, and they had a guy in a, on a on a baby grand piano that was playing, and you really felt like you know you should have been Fred, you should have had your tux on in yeah, there. Yeah. It was a <laughs> coolest experience, but it was called Ellington's, and they had all kinds of really cool pictures and and stuff from, from his career. But I thought about that the other day when I was reading through some of your notes. I was like, you know, that Ellington place down in yeah, Sanibel cool. was way cool. So that sounds cool. what you got, Keith? My first one. Is uh, this is going to sound a little strange because you mentioned it earlier in the program? Is uh, I've always loved the sound of the French horn, and I would love to play the French horn, and I would love to sit in with the Boston Pops. Oh wow! I just I just got. I think the Boston Pops is such a cool organization because they do such a wide variety of stuff. The conductors that they they've had over the years, Arthur Fiedler and stuff like that, um, I think are amazing musicians. So I li- I think the vibe of the group would be cool, and uh, if I was going to play with them, I'd like to play the French horn, even though I wouldn't pick any uh, pick up any chicks with no it. No chicks after that gig. But so, so would it be the, the John Williams led Boston Pops, or would it be? You know, I I could go with just about anybody, but it uh, yeah certainly John, John Williams, Williams and he's no slouch. Yeah, yeah. Arthur Fiedler made a good name for himself with the Pops. So uh, you know, I just think the group and what they stand for and what they do. You know, they they don't. They they think outside the box. They do stuff that's not what you would consider trish, traditional symphonic music. And so, um, yeah, that was that's my pick. I just I just went so weird compared to you two. Well, this no, is the, just, we're not done yet. This, this, this just, may get really weird before just, we're done. Because my my thought is okay. If I get to sit in, what is it I want to play? And first of all, what is it that I want to see that they get to see every night when they look out? You know. So I picked I picked drums and I've got an honorable mention, but what would it be like to play the drums and sit there as a member of Kiss? Oh my God! <laughs> I mean, and just and be able to play the drums one night and just watch the circus in front of you, Peter Chris. Be, Peter Chris. <laughs> Yeah, put the makeup on. The makeup. Nobody on would and know, Brad. Nobody would know it was you because well, it'd be, you'd be behind the camera. Uh, they'd, they'd know in ten seconds if I actually. Had to, there's no beat here to this song. I'm sorry, but the other one. Would then be you'd the, have to deal with Gene Simmons' wrath. I mean, I know, I know. He'd turn around and spit at me or something. Who knows? You know. But the other one would be the Beatles. I mean, you oh, know, I take Ringo's spot and just and just sit back there and you know be able to play, but sit back there and watch those three geniuses in front of you just for a couple of hours would be the that could be a movie script what's, what's the great line we about, could have is, a movie script is ringo here, star the best drummer in rock music and somebody's ringo star's not even the best drummer in the beatles <laughs> <laughs> 
We're just kidding, Ringo. That does uh, not preclude you from being actually, on our podcast. Ringo Starr is a great drummer. He's a really He's a great an under underrated underrated yeah. underrated drummer. So yeah. anyway, All yeah, right, I went with one. drums first. That's so I good. went sort of by by music. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. until I go. get to my my the last. There one, you which, go. All right, Clint, number two. What else you got, Clint? Well, I mean, on that tip, like, I definitely have the Beatles written down here. Um, I would have liked to check out the Sgt. Pepper's recording. But I think my, my, my number two... And the Rolling Stones, I had those guys on there for the same exact reasons you mentioned. Kiss, like, what would that, what would that tour be like? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think I would like to actually not play an instrument, but I would like to have been in the recording studio uh, when the Beatles recorded Pet Sounds. I think that would be fascinating. The, the Beach Boys. Um, Beach Boys. Beach Boys. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Beach Sorry. The, no, no, no. the Beach Boys recorded Pet Sounds. That's, because, that's one of our favorite albums. Yeah, that had to be one of the best expressions of singular genius, you know, the 20th century. I just, I, I would like to see what Brian Wilson was thinking when he, when yeah. he threw all that together. That's so. a great pick. It's a great that, pick. That is yeah. a great man, pick. Man, to sit there and... Yeah, because you know there was a couple of those albums. I don't oh, think gosh. too many of the Beach Boys played much. I think you had the Wrecking Crew on on some of them, yeah. and yeah. you know. But yeah. Brian Wilson was, he was a to, genius. You're absolutely right to sit and watch that. Just be a, a fly on the wall and just watch that process would just be amazing. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I'm going to kind of dovetail off of that because a lot of the keyboards and stuff on that album were so prominent and and. Uh, so I'm gonna. My honorable mention is gonna be uh, keyboards with anybody because uh, I took piano when I was a kid um, for six years and dropped it. And my dad told me I'd be sorry. And it was one of the multitude of times my father was right and I was wrong. And uh, as an adult, I look back on that with uh, regret. Just another I, disappointment, yeah, Keith. But I would love to be able to play keyboards, and I would play them with any any organization or band that would have me. Um, my second pick, though, is a little bit out there, too. This is a little weird. This is going to speak to the time when I grew up and what music was when I was growing up. And it would be Flute with the Marshall Tucker Band. I almost <laughs> did you? I almost I mean, you've got to love, other than, uh, you know, other than um, Jethro Tull. <laughs> Cowbell? The, and the, uh, <laughs> the one group that made... Rock, folk, country, flute, popular, you know. Yep. And uh, so anyway, that's my number two pick. And, I love know, that and, one. And Marshall Tucker, I, I was looking back on some, um, like when I was in high school, Marshall Tucker was hot when I was in high school. Oh, they were. They had hit after hit after hit. Oh, I know. They sold a lot of records back then, so. I'm bitter, Clint, about Marshall Tucker because I was the entertainment chairman at the Cole County Fair. <laughs> Still not over it. They gave they gave us a verbal and said, "Yeah, we'll come," and then they bagged us and went to the Missouri State Fair for more money. No. I'm bitter. How I'm just dare bitter. they? How dare they? How dare they? What, what was the, what, what his name was? It wasn't. It was Eubanks, right? What was the flute player's name? You know, you've got me. I got to be got honest. That. We have to look that, that, that would up. that would require research on my part and. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the guy's okay. name. He's, but he's a flute man. But he was good. <laughs> What's your flute, Greg? <laughs> <a> flute, Greg? <laughs> that was a digression. Yeah. All right. Is it my turn? It is your turn. I went guitar, 
And again, it was it was one of my favorite bands growing up, and I thought Gary Richrath was one of the absolute, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the greatest. I mean, there's been so many great guitar players, but I I, I would love one night to do uh, Riding the Storm Out with Ario Speedwagon. Speedwagon, baby. Yeah. yeah. I would love yeah. My honorable mention on the guitar, however, I would – there is no way on this planet – that I wouldn't want to go up there and play guitar, even just acoustic, just rhythm guitar yeah. with the Coral Reefer Band and the great Oh, well, Buffett. I was going to say, I'd be I very mean, disappointed if you didn't have that. Just to sit up there and to watch that circus out there yeah. would yeah. be, the, that would be yeah. one of the best. Clint, uh, Brad is a parrot head, so he, and, and I love Jimmy Buffett too, but <laughs> Brad is a diehard parrot head, so. Yep. All oh, right. That's exciting. I, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Number three, Clint. I mean, this is where it gets rough because then you're done, right? Yeah. Like, you can't keep going. You can do um, honor, honorable mentions if you've got them. Yeah, you can cheat. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So, I mean, like, there's so many jazz groups that I would just love to have, like, played in. I mean, just to see what it was like. And, and you know, I mean, I've heard stories from Bobby Watson about our playing the jazz messengers. And I, I would, I mean, that's kind of my favorite music to play. Um, but, and then I thought like going, you know, man, it would be so cool to be a killing bass player and to play like with Stevie Wonder, like on songs in the key of life. Like for me, it's, it's like these records that, that, that I think of, but I'm going to be like just left field on it because whatever, it's a fantasy. Uh, I think I would like to play, it doesn't even matter, like trumpet. I guess trumpet just to see what it was like to play trumpet in the you know <laughs> the early 1800s or whatever. But I I would I'd love to have played one of the late Beethoven symphonies. Oh I wow! Think. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and we might as well go with number nine because <laughs> good old number nine. Yeah. Yeah, because he was you know I mean ostensibly deaf at that point. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I mean you know I'd be curious to see what it was like in the 1820s or what whatever it was written and i just wonder what the heck it was like what what that because we have videos of all these other people that's right we I have no be, idea. we have yeah. no clue really no clue and so that's what i want i want a time machine and i use it for completely nothing that you should use a time machine for but to go back and play premiere of uh of beethoven's ninth yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what i'm gonna do well, well yeah i think that's a great that's a great pick because yeah. and i i didn't even think about that but but even movies like Amadeus and stuff like that, you know, um, you kind of see what it might have been like, but mm-hmm. not really. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great pick. You know, but of the, of the those on this podcast right now, uh, I think there's only one of us that has backed Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. You want to tell us a little about that? Because that's not too bad. The, the best thing that I could say would be that <laughs> I was just – the the dumbest person in the universe on stage with her. Um, I was playing first trumpet with Aretha Franklin. It was like at the Ameristar or wherever. And, you know, she hired her, her musical director hired horns from Kansas City. Yeah. And so I was playing lead trumpet. But it's like, when am I ever going to play with Aretha Franklin again? And it turns out it was none other time yeah. because I was such an idiot. But I had the 2006 like digital camera <laughs> and a crappy cell phone and like a zoom recorder all on my music stand uh 
so that I could like try and record any semblance of this. And so obviously when it's dark in in a place and you have 2006 technology, it's just that's the, the shutter speed on the camera is like negative 80. And so Aretha Franklin just looks like a big peach blur in the middle of the screen and, and all this stuff. And I mean, it didn't matter. Like I was just so enamored with the idea of playing with Aretha Franklin that I just, as anyone, no as anyone should be. Yeah. yeah. I you mean, had you, the experience. You're man. on the stage, you know, you had the best seat in the house, yep. you know, so that's. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and after the show was over, I was like, I went to her MD and I was like, Hey, could I say hi to Miss Franklin? And he was like, Oh yeah, sure. Come on back. She's having a post uh, gig meal. Um, cause she doesn't eat, didn't eat before her shows. And I go back and he shows me back to where she is. And I mean, the thing that I get now is like, these are just normal human beings, you know, like yeah. she's a huge megastar, but it seems to me like most musicians that I meet are still human. I've never met like Bono or anything. I'm sure that would be wild. Mm. But anyway, so I go backstage into her dressing room and I was like, it was like Chris Farley Talking to Paul McCartney on Twitter. <laughs> we, like, we reference that all the time. Remember when? Remember, remember, when remember that time? Remember that time you played with John Lennon? And, remember that? And she was, she was eating like some gates. She had a gates ring oh, wow. in her hand. Very good. And nice choice. I was like, hey, uh, Miss Franklin. Uh, and she was like, how you doing, baby? And I was like, I'm fine. You remember when you just played music? I played, you know, it was really cool. And, uh, um, and I played a cover solo on, on one of the bumper musics. We did Killer Joe, which is a great jazz standard. And I played a solo on it because nobody else stood up to play. And I was like, I'll play. And she was like, you played the trumpet tonight. You played really good. And I was like, I melted into a bottle. Wow, 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 wow. I woke up three weeks later. Yeah. I was in the hospital. And it was all worth it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> my drop. Great okay. story. Glad Great story. I glad I brought that one up. Well, so, I'm gonna follow. Yeah. I'm gonna follow up with my third one. Uh, and now another honorable mentions. Uh, bait. I'd like to play bass. I think actually I might still try and pick up bass sometime late in life. Stand up big? No, no, no. Just a, like a bass guitar. Okay. Uh, right. With especially with any country band and maybe Willie's band because it's a. Uh, pretty driving bass line on a lot of his songs so um but my third choice is i would also love to have learned to play acoustic guitar and if i was going to yeah. play acoustic guitar and just rhythm guitar uh with the eagles my favorite band so uh, um, of course i would, would love to play even if i just stood in the background and sang background vocals and just stand and watch and be part of the group yeah so that's my third that's pick. Awesome. That would yeah. be good. Now, my final one is not sucking up to the guest, but I, I really... I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, well, I know you will be. Um, here's what I would... Here is here is something that I think would be the ultimate. Uh, to be in New Orleans... Okay, you're not sucking up to the guest. In, in Preservation Hall, yeah. on trumpet, 
yeah. playing the Saints. Yeah. Brad is a huge New Orleans uh, fan. To, to, to be in that famous little room and play the Saints go marching in. The other thing, too, Clint, that would be just about as good is plunking away on the banjo to a Closer Walk with Thee. That would be oh my goodness. That would be yeah. pretty good. Yeah. The other group yeah. I would play with is the Funky Butt Brass Band. Have you ever? Have oh. you? Do you know the Funky Butts from St. Louis? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Well, I would. I would love to play. I fly away. They've got a version of I'll fly away that will take you to heaven. I'm yeah. swear. I tell you, 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 you will be. You will be saved with yeah. their version of I'll fly away. So, yeah. there's there's my there's my end. Well, I got to give it to my co-host Brad for coming up with this three top pick categories that. That was fun. <laughs> that was fun. And again, we could probably, uh, you know, dissect that into different z- genres and things like that and then go on with this for multiple episodes. And by so, the way, Bobby, Bobby, the top threes get harder to figure out. So yeah, we need your help. We do. Would you please start giving us some suggestions on top three picks? Give us some good three top pick categories. So, yeah, that was a fun one, though. It was. I, Clint, I like that. Uh, we have enjoyed you so much, and we really appreciate your being we with us. We want to come see you. Yeah. Oh, well, come on out. Kansas City is a good hang. If you haven't been here in a while, it sure has changed a lot over the last 10 years. Oh, no doubt. Uh, Kansas City is a great place to visit. Great restaurants, great arts, entertainment, sports venues. There's a lot to do in Kansas City. No doubt about it. There is. Everything's up to date. In Kansas City. (laughs) There you go. Clint, thank you very much. Bon vivants, thank you. And uh, keep listening, keep sharing, keep liking and reviewing. And uh, Dr. Jones? We love you all. Thank you all much. And uh, (laughs) cheers. cheers. We Like That Too is produced as a labor of love for the enjoyment of Bon Vivants everywhere. To get information about our bottles and links to our guests, go to our website, welikethatpodcast.com. Tune in to new episodes by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. Please remember to rate, review, and share. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Like That Podcast. So everybody, hey, remember the numbers. One bottle, two good friends, and three top picks because we We like like that that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too.